In New Guinea, they started meeting, and I lost two deacons in the last 14 days in my first church I planted. One was 69, and one was 58. COVID got them both. There's no ventilators over there. There's no doctors. You just get it and kind of lay down, lay down, wait till the Lord come get you. Amen. And but hey, both men love the Lord and I praise the Lord for them. And both men taught me something. And especially Brother Kennewin, he taught me don't miss the little things. He said, uh, Pastor Dan, uh, you know, musky, musky. You always want to do the big things. That means no. Take care of those little things first, amen? Just like the time I moved a freezer when I moved houses and I moved it into the new house, couldn't get the thing to work. And it didn't, wouldn't come on and, and I had to call it a refrigerator, re, freezer repair man to come. And he said he'd come out for $150, so he came out. And I had the $150 check written out for his company and he, he walked up and he said, now uh, I'm gonna sign the paper, I'm gonna fix your freezer. And uh, he looked at it and looked at me and said, give me the check, write it to this. And I did. He gave me the receipt. He did not do one thing except plug it in. I'd moved the thing, worked all around it, and did everything in the world but plug it in. How many of you folks, <clears throat> if I can say this right, missed the boat on some things? Amen? Now, what do you mean by that, preacher? These two boys, they missed the boat. Uh, uh, how many of you folks was alive when Walmart started? You older folks above 50, you know. And for $100, you could have bought a stock in Walmart along with Sam Walton, okay? <laughs> and you'd be a millionaire today, all right? And uh, a lot of truck drivers did that. Man, I wish I'd invested in that, all right? Now, I don't understand this Bitcoin or this C-coin, whatever they call it, this cryptocurrency. I don't understand it. But one of my in-laws about three or four years ago put $1,000 in it. <laughs> and he said, it's worth hundreds of thousands. I said, okay, where's it at? He said, it's invisible. <laughs> That's a little bit too small to me, amen. I don't understand that stuff. But I do understand God's word. It's taken years. I'm still working on it. And tonight I want to preach a message, little as much of God is in it. And what we want to look at is there's a hundred little things, thousand things in the Bible, but we want to dwell on you for a little bit tonight. I know I got kids in here, but uh, as we say down south, I'll be talking to you adults a little bit. Amen? And I want you to listen to this. It's the little things you don't do that'll cost you later on in life when it comes to your family. It's the little things you do do, and do it right scripturally, that'll help your family. I also know this, young people, you're going to go into the ministry, don't, don't want to do the big things. You want to do the little things first. And can I say this? In Scripture, I've not found anybody yet greatly used of God unless they went through a hard time. They didn't start out great and fizzle. They usually fizzled around and got cut up and attacked. And we're going to look at one of those individuals tonight. But I want you to understand God has something for you to do. We're going to look at a thought tonight in just a moment where God used a, a, just a little thing to save a nation. We're going to look at the second thought tonight where God used a little thing to save an army. And the third thing we'll look at tonight is where God used a little thing, a base thing, to introduce the bread of life to the world. And no matter what your stature is in here, no matter what your wealth is, no matter what, where your age category is, if God works on your heart, step up, take, take a swing and get after it, amen? Don't say, well, I'm not qualified. I, I can't do it. No, no, wait a minute. God always picks the right people in the right way on the right day to do the right thing for him, amen? And in this church, I know you all want to be used of God. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or chapter 1, verse 26. Listen to the words as I read them. For ye see your calling, brethren. Ha ha. That's all of us. I want you to see your calling, brethren. Chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, verse 26. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. That's amazing. I think that gets about everybody in the auditorium tonight, amen? But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the things 
to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to, uh, not the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That, according as it is written, he that glorify, let him glorify in the Lord. So let's, let's take a look at that tonight for just a moment. Are you ready? I'm going to unwrap this introduction for you. Look at the, in verse 28, and base things. Everywhere else in scripture, base means lewd, sinful fellows, or situations. In this context, in this Greek uh, synapse, in this, in this uh, vocabulary, it means little things. And the, I got it in my Bible, right to the side of it, so, uh, underlined it says little. And God uses the base things, the little things of the world. Now I want you to understand, God will want to use you and I. And God takes the little things of, uh, in our lives, in our heart, and he turns the world around. Let me unwrap it just a little bit deeper for you. Back up to verse 30 with me for just a moment. You look at verse 30, and it's going to make this statement to you. It's going to make, and I want you to look at it with me just a little bit. Start at the end of verse, uh, verse 30. Will you do that with me? What's the last word? Say it again. Do y'all know what redemption is? That means getting born again, amen? That means that you're heading this way, then you get redeemed, now you're heading this way. All right, so how many of you have been redeemed in here? Give me a hearty amen. amen. So now after you get redeemed, you're gonna to go to the next word up into the verse backwards and sanctification. So after you get saved, how many of you folks in here needed your life cleaned up? Let me give you the Kansas definition of, of uh, getting sanctification, getting your life scrubbed up and cleaned up, Amen. You might drink and smoke and chew and you didn't know the Bible and you cussed and swore like a sailor. No offense, you sailors. But I, I want you to know when you get saved and you get in God's word and you start looking at God's word and you start listening to the preaching and the teaching of God's word, God begins to clean you up, amen? That's sanct getting sanctified. Why? Look at the next verse uh, word going backward. Righteousness. So you find out what righteousness is, all right? So if you listen to God's word and you apply God's will to God's way and, and do what the, the Spirit of God wants you to do, you'll do the right thing. Hence we have the word what? Righteousness. And then look at the word before that and wisdom. Now I know as Paul writes this, he writes it one way and I explain it to you another. But if you're right with God, you'll have the right wisdom because you've been taught righteousness and your life has been cleaned up and saved for the honor and glory of God. Amen. That, in verse 31, is what he's talking about. That's what you got. Back up to verse 26. Brethren, let's all see, let's all understand that we're called. And God wants to use us. Why? He saves us. He sanctifies us. He teaches righteousness. Then he gives us the wisdom to step up the plate and take a swing when he talks to us and speaks to us about serving him. And all God's people said, now we can go home. No, let's just get started, amen. So I could go, I'm gonna start back in Genesis. So rustle back there with me, would you? Uh, well, let's go before that. Let's stop in Exodus 3, all right? Genesis, Exodus 3. I want you all to go back there for just a moment. And we're gonna look at three little things tonight. As we unwrap this thing, you keep asking yourself the question, what little thing does God want to do in my life? What thing does God want to do? He wants to use me for his ministry. And I want you to catch the first thought here tonight as we look at this. And we're going to move around the scriptures a lot. And let's, let's take a look at, uh, uh, can I say the first thing? Is God uses <clears throat> a little shrub to deliver a message to save a nation. He uses a little shrub to deliver a message to save a nation. Moses made a mess of things 40 years before and he was one of the worst men in the scriptures at that time. He was trained so proud. You know, he murdered that guy and put him in the sand and he ran for his life and he was uh, tending sheep 
on the backside of the desert. He didn't even own them. His father-in-law did, amen. And he was probably the worst shepherd he ever saw because the Bible said he would take the sheep to the backside of the desert. You know? There's nothing back there but dust and rocks. When they would come home tonight to, back to the pen at the farm, I can see the sheep walking by and said, we have got a bad shepherd. Uh, verse one, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert. And he came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll now turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, to see God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he, Moses said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh to hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereupon thou standest is holy ground. He hadn't been in church in 40 plus years. He hadn't been around God's people. He had a problem, men, the same problem you and I have, it's called pride. And after he, God was done with him, he became the most humble man mentioned in scripture in the Old Testament. So I want to give you tonight a, a thoughts about Moses, three thoughts about him. If you want to write them down, you can. This will kind of, hope this will help you a little bit and let, let you understand that God wants to use you no matter who you are. First thing is this. It was that, that when he looked at that flame, he turned aside to see it. Look at verse two, which says that the angel of the Lord appeared in him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the, bu the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. It didn't quit burning. And it didn't burn up. That bush was like I had a glass, or glass, a gas pipe in it. And it's just blowing flame, but yet it's not consumed. I wrote this down. It, it was consistent in its burning. How are you and you're consistent for your light and burning for Christ? I just want you to keep your hand there in that scripture. Would you slide with me back to Matthew real quick? Matthew chapter 5. And catch this thought with me in verse 14 and 16. When you get saved as a Christian, the Bible says this, you are a light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle in chapter 5, verse 15, and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. This is Jesus preaching. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Hey, God wants us to shine consistently for him. Not just the preacher. He wants all of us born-again believers. Amen? He wants us to be that light. Is your light consistent? I wrote the second thing down. I want you to catch this. When Moses went by, back in our text, look at chapter five, uh, chapter 3, book of Exodus, uh, that, that their burning, burning bush caught Moses' attention. It says in verse 3, I'll now turn aside to see this great sight. You know, it was consistent in its burning. I hope you are in your testimony. And he caught, it caught Moses' attention. Hey, does the Spirit of God catch your attention at church services? Or is it boring? Is it slow? Well, the preacher's going to say the same thing. He has the same mannerisms. It's the Word of God. I've been reading it for 50 years. I'm not getting anything out of it. You know what? You need to get right with God on that, amen? Little as much if God is in it. Base things he uses to confound the world, to have them come to a standstill. He's done it before, he'll do it again, and we're in the middle of this pandemic which is ordained by God. Listen to me. God never called the 10 plagues the 10 plagues. He called them the wonders. They were wonders. You'll never see the word plague used by God. God was in charge of that. Why did he bring all those wonders on top of Egypt for? To free his people and to show the world who is in charge. Pretty good, isn't it? Has Egypt done much on the world stage? She's not even in the world basement. Never has been since that day because the, the, the minion of the gods of that country, the demonic presence here. I'm telling you what, it had to go take a back seat when Moses showed up. Isn't that a great, great thought? It starts at this bush. And God took care, Moses took care, along with God's help, his pride. He didn't think he was ready, but he was. Now I'm telling you what, get this thought, he had Moses' attention. I hope and pray that you will have, a, uh, have an attention, attention getting aspect about you, not being a loud mouth, but you have a testimony that says, what's the difference about those people at Heritage? 
What's the difference about uh, Mr. Jones? Or what's the difference about Brother DeLong? Why do they have this joy? Why do they have this peace? I want what they have. I was in, all, in, in Australia and I uh, was giving devotions to my daughter in the mornings. So the first six months I was there and I noticed my neighbor would come out when he would see me giving my daughter devotions. She was six or seven. And he'd sit on the other side of this fence that you could not see through and he'd smoke two or three cigarettes, but he was listening to what I was saying. And about three months in and stuff, I, I, him and I met each other and we talked a little bit. And He said, I've been listening to what you've been teaching your daughter. I've never heard of schooling like that. You're telling me if I don't have Jesus in my heart, I need to repent of my sins and trust him as my personal savior. And he says, I've done some mighty bad things. I said, yeah, yeah, God can forgive all that. He said, I'm a little bit interested in that. Long story short, within six months, he had trusted Christ as Savior. Within a year, he had joined the, uh, uh, the church. His name was Jonathan Edwards. Not the spiritual one. This was the unspiritual one. But uh, I'm telling you, little as much of God is in it. He just listened to little morning devotions. I didn't plan him on being here, being there and listening. I didn't even speak to him or witness to him. But God had him there for a reason. Can I say this? Don't question God when God works on your heart. Third thing about this, uh, it contained the voice of God. Look at verse 4 in our text. And the Lord said, he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. You know, the Holy Spirit will talk to you here, he'll talk to you at your home, but he has a hard time talking to you when you're living in sin. And Moses was coming to a Jesus meeting right here. Uh, we've used that term here at this time. And when he sat there at that bush to see this great sight, God has his attention and God says, Moses, I want to use you. And Moses at first said, well, I don't know if I'm worthy of that. But God kept talking. Moses kept listening. To make a long story short, listen carefully, God used that bush to deliver a message to save his nation. Can you see him come up against the Red Sea months later? Can you see him scared stiff, two million of them? Can you see Moses raising that rod? <laughs> Can you see that sea departing here and yon? Can you see everybody walking across on dry ground? Can you see them getting to the other side? Can you see God said, Moses, stiffen up a little bit. Hold that thing up and see what I do. And God looked at them and he closed that water back down. And them boys are still underwater, amen? You listen carefully to what I'm saying here. Little as much of God is in it. And if God will use a little shrub to get Moses' attention, and you're in a church like this, don't you ever take for granted the preaching and teaching you received. Amen. I'm telling that your pastor's gifted. He don't know I'm preaching this. He's a human like you and I, but his whole heart's in this thing, and he feeds you people. I've listened to him on the, on what do you call that, the World Wide Web? I don't know what you call that thing. And, and I've listened to him preach here. I'm not bragging about him. I'm bragging about God. Don't miss the boat when God comes knocking at your door to do something in this church, he'll work through you. He'll get work on you so he can use you in his ministry later on. Little as much of God is in it. So he used a little shrub to deliver a message to save a nation. When uh, I was in my first uh, hurricane in Australia several years ago, and I was in that hurricane's coming, this name was called Yazzie, all right? Y-A-Z-Z-Y. -Z -Z I have no idea what that means. You can Google it. As it was coming through, we were starting a church there, and I'd been inviting my neighbors for months to come to church, and they wouldn't. And on this particular day, our phones went off, and we knew a storm was coming out of uh, the tropics, and it turned into a hurricane. They call it cyclone. It was supposed to be about 15 miles offshore, and that thing turned right for our city. Our phones went off and people started screaming at 7 a.m. in the morning and we got our orders to, you know, uh, get your uh, legal possessions, take some money, take some water with you and go to this place three miles away. It's, 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 <laughs> it's hurricane proof. Are you kidding me? There ain't nothing hurricane proof. Boy, we have to go there, you know. And, uh, and it was a shelter about as big as this auditorium and maybe just a tad bigger and and uh, as we're running on our way there and I'm coming out the driveway, we, we've duct taped our dog's uh, little carrying box on top of the refrigerator so when it floats, it'll go straight up. 
and I duct uh, tape the, you know, the refrigerator into that little cavity high, you know, because the water's supposed to come waist high, right? And I want to, we couldn't take our dogs or any animals with us. Man, people are upset. They're just going to lose a bird <laughs> or a cat or dog. Who cares about that when this flood's coming, amen? And uh, man, we're going to lose everything. And I got to that there, uh, putting my stuff in the car, and my neighbor come out that laughed at me, a Filipino lady, when I invited her to church. And she dropped on her knees in front of me in my driveway and screamed, we're all going to die. I need to find Jesus now. I said, your timing is absolutely impeccable. And I said, get in your car and you follow me. Oh, I'm going to die. Don't say that again in front of my wife or daughter. Ain't nobody going to die. Get in the car and follow us. And she did, and we got to our place. Man, she was ripe to get saved, amen. I'd never been fastened down for 24 hours with people I did not know. There was 300 of us in a room like this. I was probably, and my wife was probably, <laughs> but the only couple in there didn't smoke, drink, or chew. You all see people start shaking about 10 hours in when they can't have a cigarette. And they start to go nuts, and the, guard, the doors are all nailed shut, and the police are there with their AR-15s, and he, there ain't nobody going out, nobody going to go out there tonight, you know. And uh, the Red Cross man in charge forgot to get cups. He had the water, he had the food, or he forgot the plates. He had the drinks, but he didn't have a plate. And he was rushing to get the stuff there. And he made an announcement, we have to eat. We're going to make sure everybody's fed so this storm hits. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, uh, does anybody, I, I had 2,000 plates in my garage about five miles from that thing. I said, I got uh, two, 3,000 plates from my church, but we'll go get them but you have to take me. I'm not driving in that storm. I mean, the police, two squad cars. I told the guy, the only thing I ask is, I'll give you the plates if I can give everybody a brochure from my church to come to church. And uh, fair deal, let's do it. But you said you can't preach. I won't preach. And so we went and got the plates and come back. By the way, the dog survived the storm, okay? All kids worry about that stuff. And I got back. And I opened up in prayer. Man, they're looking at me like a bullfrog in a hailstorm. A yank praying for an Australian, you know, cyclone. And so, and we ate. And that night, I give every couple, every family, a Coastline Baptist Church church brochure, just like you have. Invited them all to church. I knew that Sunday, if we survived the storm, I was going to have 500 people at that church. <laughs> and well, the storm blew off the next day. We all went home. Three days later, I mean, I got extra food for church. I know that thing's going to fill up. Do you realize we did not get one visitor from that thing? No, no, not one. The next week, nobody came. Nothing. Six months went by. Older couple showed up with their kids in the back, heard me preach, and they took off before the service was over. Then they did the same thing the next week. The third week, I caught them. I had my... Usher do the closing, and I ran out and caught them before they got to their car. And you know what? I ended up leading them, that family to the Lord. I asked them after about a year of discipleship, how in the world did you find us? She said, you don't remember, the wife said, but you handed us one of those church brochures in that storm 18 months ago. Little as much. Not done yet, if God is in it. They got saved. They brought their New Guinea neighbors. They got saved. The third family, Gay's family, they got saved, and they're all still in that church today. Amen. Now, folks, when God gives you an opportunity, he'll use the little things. Don't miss them. Let's go now into 1 Samuel. Go with me, please, quickly. The second, the second thing. I want you to slide back there. Not only does God use a little shrub to introduce uh, a way to save a nation, now he's going to use in 1 Samuel 17 a little boy and a little stone to save his army. You know the story about David. I preached on it Sunday, did I not? So David's in chapter 17 and he's ready to throw down and square off, you know, and, and uh, 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 so funny. How many's ever seen guys kind of showboat and boxing and stuff when I was younger? We'd have the Friday night's fights, you know, and we'd have some guys sticking their stands out there and call the other guy a sissy. <laughs> that guy would knock that guy out like that, you know. You're sitting, he didn't call anybody a sissy again. Well, Goliath's kind of like that. He's, you know, just daring everybody to come after him. 
Now I want you to look at chapter 17, 1 Samuel, verse 40. Listen to the verse here. And he took his staff in his hand, that's David, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. And he, and I want you to catch this, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now I want you to catch the thought here in this verse. Five smooth stones. The word smooth, would you like to underline that for me? When you translate that into your vernacular, it means shepherd's stone. Shepherd's stone. If I had a truckload of gravel and dump it here, you all would say, them are all shepherd's stones. No, they're not. All right? Now, I think you've done this because you're here in Kansas and you have a lot of ponds. How many has ever skipped stones across the creek or on a pond? Kids, that's much better than doing, you know, Nintendo and stuff, you know. And uh, so when you skip a stone across the pond or across the creek, do you want a round stone or a flat one? Say it again. Now in that flat stone, you have to understand it's got two sides, correct? You look real close. One side is usually rounded a bit like the back of your hand. And the other one's kind of flat like the top of your hand. You want that to dance against the water, not that. Amen? So far so good? My mom was about 50 years old and she took my twin and I fishing and we were teenagers and we're fishing down there on a place called Skin Creek and you catch some little mud cats and some rock bass and stuff. And it's on a Sunday afternoon between church and, and uh, she got bored and, and the lines were set and she started skipping stones. And man, for an old lady, she could get five or six, seven, eight, nine skips out of a little stone. She said, what did you boys do? You know. So my twin and I, we picked up these rocks. <laughs> You know, kind of look like, you know, concrete blocks. I mean, they're just all jagged and everything. And I, I, I mean, I threw mine as hard as I could. Bing, bing, dunk. And my twin got the similar type of rock. His went dink, 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 dunk. When my mom threw her skipper stone, beep, 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 in the mud on the other side. She did her little mama pop belly dance, you know, that she's the victor. And she said, boys, your problem is not you're, not, you're throwing the hard as you can, but you don't know how to get the skipper stone. And she taught me how to get a skipper stone. David had been taught what a shepherd's stone was. He knew how to sling that, that sling, right? Or fling the sling, right? But the, the little bullets he put in there, those round stones, had to be something like a marble. Now I want you to catch the thought here. As he's on his way to fight Goliath, he did not have his gun loaded. Barney would be like you hunting deer without a bow and arrow or without any arrows. You could have the bow. Just like you got the deer last week. You know, some old lady ran over it for you and gave you this. Did you, have you told the crowd this yet? You know, he's got a big eight-point buck. You see it hanging on the wall? He can thank Grandma for that one. But then, anyway, I'm just teasing. And you guys ever go duck hunting without any shells in the gun? Good night. Do you ever go fishing with a fishing hook and no bait? How dumb can you be? When David's taken on Goliath, his teenager-ism comes out. I'm going to take him down. Oops, gun not loaded. But on his way, straight. He did not get that smooth stone, shepherd stone finder from Walmart that you buy or down at Lowe's. He's going to cross that creek on a beeline to fight that giant, and those stones are right there in his path on the right day, on the right battle for the right giant who's been mouthing off for 40 days. All God's people said, whoa, God's in charge of that timetable. Little as much of God is in it. And I want you to catch this. Let's look at the stone and not David. Three things about the stone. Would you write them down if you're in the habit of doing that? Number one, the, the stone was in position to be used by God. You know, when you study the scripture, the word of God, running water speaks of the Holy Spirit of God. Still water speaks of the word of God. And I want you to know that these stones were in position to be used. They're right, when, right ready to be used when God wanted them. And I hope you'll get in position to be used by God in this church. I hope you'll take care of your sin. I hope you'll get, take, get, get your sanctification going. we get your life cleaned up. I, I work with Reformers Unanimous and a couple other churches. My wife and I in Chattanooga, Tennessee, when we're in town, we, we, we dedicate a, a, a day every week for choices. 
you know, against abortion. Everybody thinks it's a choice to have abortion, but she takes the lady to talk her out of it. I take the husband to talk him out of it and try to get him saved, do everything we can. Now, we've been able to do eight, nine babies, I think, in two years to save them, all right? But, and I want you to understand, that's just a little thing we do on the side. But I want you to understand, God takes us and God has us in position to do that so we take advantage of it. As you come to this church here, as you get your sin taken care of and you, and you learn what righteousness is, will you have the wisdom to do something for God? Yeah, this is what I'm preaching hard on tonight. God has you in position. Don't play around with that sin. He's got somebody lost out there. He's got a giant that needs to take down. He has an army that needs saved. He has, he has a name to be lifted up. And in the scenarios I said, David was doing this because this wicked giant and the Philistines was calling his God out. So number one, get yourself in position to be used by God. Get rid of that sin. Number two, that little stone was in preparation. You know, as that water runs over the stone, God could just put them there. and I mean, he could just boom, they're right there, right? But as they tumbled down the creek of Elah there, down that mountain range, and they, the tumbling over the years, the water, the banging off of stones, rounded them into what I call a smooth or a shepherd's stone. Now, I'll tell you what, always be in preparation to be used by God. Amen? When you stop reading your Bible, when you think you've arrived, you become what we call stagnant, all right? And stagnant water has no movement in it. And usually it becomes diseased and becomes worthless and poisonous. Always be in, a, in, in the mode of being prepared. And I want you to understand, in this situation, that water was running. Those stones were prepared. As David reaches down in there, I don't think he takes a bunch of scoops. Maybe I'm wrong. I think he just grabs as a teenager would, and he'd come up with five of them. Man, they were all flingers. And he put them in that bag as he went towards that giant, amen? So are you in position? Are you being prepared? Now watch this. Are, do you have the power of God in your life? Them little stones as that boy's running towards that giant or banging around inside that little bag. And I want you to catch this here. Look what it says in verse 49 of that chapter. It says, and David put it in his hand in the bag and he took thence a stone and he slang it and smoked the Philistine in the forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. Amen. He never was gonna bow down to God, but he did that day. But I want you to understand that stone was absolutely worthless until it become time for God or the shepherd to use it. Watch, watch the scenario. And that little thing was ready to go. Amen. There will be a day, there will be a time that God will call some of you people into ministry, into missions, into something here to do. And you'll say, well, you know, I just don't think I can do that because that's a lot of headache. That'll be a heartache. You know, I may make a mistake. Hey, join the crowd. Hey, Moses didn't have a good track record and God used him, amen. David's a teenager here. He didn't have a great track record and God used him, amen. Now, I'm not talking about bad track records. I'm talking about God being able to give us righteousness, give us wisdom, cleaning our lives up, not only saving us, but he wants to use us. So far, so good on this? Those, those stones were in preparation. Those stones were in position. When David put them in that bag, they were powerless. He got in there, and when that stone went going through the air, what took that giant down was the power of God Amen. in the heart of that beating chest of a teenager that did what God told him to do. Can you see him? It's not one of those forked slingshots. It's one of those far, and he knew how to flip that thing and knock that exit sign down from here. What was that giant to him 15, 20 feet away? He, the boy didn't think, like I said the other day, he didn't have any fear of that giant. That giant was too big to miss because little as much if God is in it. Who did the lion for him? Who did the bear for him? And he knew God would come up on him again. So folks, what has God done for you? Keep that in mind. Well, I'm just little. I'm just a little nut. No, he wants to use you. So we settled in P&G to do our ministry. We had a church that we got going, and as it began to grow, we had a village beside us called Tete, T-E-T-E. The Goliallas lived in there, and they're all shorter than me. A couple thousand of them, they're all squatters. About 100 acres against the mountainside, and they put a fort thing around themselves, a sawed wood, 
God put them on my heart. They're about a mile and a half from my house. I jogged by them and I wanted them to come to church, but they would not let me in. And I kept praying to get in that church and the man that died this week, Paul Law, was one of the men I prayed with. Brother Kennewin, who died last week, was one of the three men I prayed with for over a three-year period for God to let us get in there. I got the idea of jogging by that place on the day when I could jog. And all the kids would be watching through the, 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 you know, the fort holes. Hey, what's going on? Oh, Mazza. They, they thought I was a high priest. Oh, Father DeLong. Yeah, come run one time. I never told them I wasn't a priest, okay? And the kids snuck through the walls and started jogging with me. And of course, about a week in, I got some suckers in this pocket and bubble gum in this pocket. You want to own a kid in New Guinea? Have suckers and ice cream and bubble gum. They'll follow you anywhere. Before I knew it, I had eight or nine of them running with me. I'd go back and forth, and I would stop, and they'd go in the gate, and I'd try to go in, and the guards would stop me. No, musky. No towel butters in here. No white skins. You're out. Okay, no problem. Enjoyed running with you kids. Bamahuta. I mean, see you later, alligator. And I would go. But I could never get in there. Now, you listen very carefully. Little as much of God is in it. My deacons prayed and I prayed and nothing happened for six months. Now, you know, sometimes we give up too soon, don't we? And I want you to understand, if you stay with what God puts in your heart to do, you'll see little things come to pass that God will use in a great way. Let me go to the last thought tonight and I'll close. You go in your Bible, look at John chapter six. See, God used a little stone in a teenager's heart to take down a giant to save his army. God used a burning bush to get Moses' attention to bring his country, his nation out of slavery. I want you to know God had a hold of Moses' heart God had David's heart. And now we're going to look at this John chapter 6, verse 13. Not only a little shrub, not only a little stone, but lastly, a little snack lunch. Let's take a look at our, our snack lunch here. Verse 13 says, Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Jesus had been long preaching that day, and in the long preaching, people got hungry. Five thousand men there. Give them a wife, let's just say. That's 10,000. Most scholars said there was close to 20,000 people in that hayfield. And Jesus wanted to feed them. They said, hey, uh, Philip, how much money we got in the bank account? 200 penny worth. What's that amongst so many people? We couldn't give them grain of salt a piece for that much. Just send them all home. Let them go to McDonald's on their own. Just send them all home to... KFC, send them all home to Zaxby's, but it's closed here, I think, right? I went there today and it was closed. And, and uh, couldn't get any bread there, amen? And so I want you to understand this and I want you to catch the scenario. We're gonna look at three things in this last thought. We're gonna look at the lad, we're gonna look at the Lord, we're gonna look at the leftovers. This lad was sitting there during the preaching time. And when Jesus wanted to feed him, take a look with me in verse eight. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, uh, Jesus, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two fishes, but what are they among so many? Now listen to this thought. That guy's making fun of that little boy. I want you to catch this. The lad, he offered what he had when he could with what God put in his heart to do. Amen? Well, hey, a little sack snack lunch with... How many couple loaves of bread and some tin fish? Now this fish he was talking about is salt dried fish from that area. Now how many of you folks like sardines? Okay, well, this is the most sardineless church I've ever seen. Who do not? Who does not like sardines? <laughs> Who's eating them and go woo? Okay, my dad loves sardines. He can eat a can at a time. He had his lowers pulled on a Monday when I was about 14 years old. All his teeth he pulled. He didn't pull, but the dentist did. He had bad teeth. Then on the next morning or next day, the doctor pulled the uppers out. The man was sore. Couldn't eat or chew, so he made what we call a sardine Amish milkshake. You take a can of sardines and put them in the blender. Six ounces of milk, 
and a quarter package of saltine crackers. Hit that thing, blend. You see those little fishy eyeballs going around in that milk. And those crackers absorb that oily and milk and you pop that lid off and everything's turned green. He would, he would start drinking that, right? He said, don't tell your mama, boys. And we'd watch him and, excuse me, <laughs> when he got done, he would belch and this green stuff would come out. <laughs> like a green smoke, you know. And He had to do that and I watched him and I, I tasted one of those sardines once. Never again. <laughs> Man. And uh, this kid offered Christ some salt-dried sardine-type fish and four little biscuits, five little biscuits smaller than my hand, made out of barley. That's like eating rock or bales of hay, amen? How many like to eat weed checks in here? You can have mine. Man, I like those Cheerios full of sugar. How about you, huh? I like Captain Crunch. He <laughs> starts shaking after you eat that stuff. Uh, I, uh, and that's what the boy, and what Andrew said, he's got a sack lunch here, and he's so young and dumb, he wants to give it to you, Jesus. He doesn't understand the value of anything, especially this little old stuff. God's just getting ready to work. Little is much if God is in it. Now, that's what the, the lad had to give to Jesus. Now, let's take a look at the Lord for a moment. Join me in verse six. When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw the great multitude coming to him, he said unto Philip, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he Christ said to prove him Christ, for he himself Christ, for he Christ himself Christ knew what he Christ would do. He drives the bus, folks, not you. I want you to catch this. He doesn't bring me into your life by accident. He doesn't bring you into my life. He doesn't bring uh, the college kids here by accident. He has a plan. You need to learn to go with it. And you need to have a faith and trust. Stop trying to manipulate it. Trust God's process. And he knew what he was going to do. And, and so he let uh, uh, Philip, the, or, uh, uh, Philip the bean counter expose what he was thinking. He let that little snarky Andrew, Simon Peter's brother in verse 8, show his true colors. And I want you to understand, and Jesus said in verse 10, make the men to sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men all sat down, about the number of 5,000. He took those little loaves, and he prayed, and he fed them all. Well, how'd that happen? Little as much if God is in it. How many's had God bless you because of your trust in him? Financially, physically, spiritually, relationship-wise, when you follow him, it, you may not understand it, but you need to have that faith and trust. And when he did this, look what the Bible says. Jesus took the loaves in verse 11. When he gave thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise the fishes as much as they would. They ate all the fish. They're meat eaters. They didn't have anything left over, but there was fragments in verse 12. Gather up the fragments that remaineth, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Therefore, they gathered 12, filled 12 baskets. Now watch this. Some scholars say that the 12 tribes, the baskets represent the 12 tribes of Israel. It doesn't say that. Okay, now come over here. Uh, some scholars on the other side say that it's a necessary basket of food for all the disciples that are in the ministry. It doesn't say that, does it? How would you, would you give Philip and Andrew one? How about Judas? Me neither. You know what I personally think as I read scripture? Well, those 12 fragments, I think he'd probably give them to that boy. That's just me thinking out loud. My Bible tells me, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Amen. And Paul tells us in Philippians that when you do things like this, it's going to be added not to Paul's account, but to whose? Your account. You don't give to get. You trust God because he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. What's a few pieces of bread? What's a few fish to him? But he needs that person to step up that will trust him. You know, Moses trusted God at the burning bush. He stuttered a little bit, but he trusted him at the end of the day. David going through that stream, picked up those five smooth stone, full trust in God. And that little boy, when he held that little snack lunch up, gave what God put in his heart to give. He trusted God with it. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we look past all those things 
and do not see the hand of God. I don't know where you're at in your life today, but my Bible tells me in Philippians chapter 4, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Where he sends you, he'll feed you. What he puts on your heart to give or what to do through a church, he'll take care of the time and he'll take care of the, but we worry so much about us, don't we? That we get very hesitant. And that's where the devil comes in. That's where he gets us to turn our heads. That's where he gets us to actually fear. When Moses got done with the bush, he stuttered all around that mountainside playing question uh, five. I got a sermon I preached called Five Questions Moses Asked and Five Questions God Answered. But at the end of the day, God, he answered it and he went on. David got the stones and he went on. And that little boy, boy, you pick out the fives and you want to do a numbers sermon here. That he gave exactly what God needed him to give. Because God knew what he was going to do before the boy gave it. All God's people said, close your Bibles. As I go running by Tay-Tay, and they won't let me into that project or that settlement, it was on a Sunday afternoon about six weeks later, Brother Kennewin and Paula come to my office. Both went to heaven in the last 30 days. I'm using this illustration to honor them. They knocked on my door. I was preparing for the Sunday evening service. They said, oh, pasta, come, there's going to be a hanging at Tay-Tay. And bring a concrete block with you and bring that old Bible. This is the same Bible I had there. I had it covered now about four times since. And uh, bring that and a concrete block so it makes you taller than everybody around. Amen. And I asked Brother Paul, Why, what are we going to do? He says, there's going to be a hanging. The front gate's open. Nobody's guarding it, so they want to see the hanging. I said, I don't want to go to a hanging. And now, there's no law, there's no jurisdiction. It's called shade tree law. Uh, that mayor, whoever, what had happened, an older couple got in a fight with their 19-year-old son in an argument. And she said in the argument in, uh, on a Tuesday night, I'll put a spell on you and a demon will kill you. And there you're arguing and people heard her say it there in the village. Well, he's sick. And as they walk, we walk up there and we go inside about a thousand yards into that village and I'm about half scared. I got a concrete by, uh, and a, a King James Bible. And I set that block down and Paul's in front of me and I said, what do I do now? Stand on the block. And he said this, Brother Dan, no one's gonna hang anybody in front of a Talbotta with a Bible. That's our culture. We do not kill anybody with an American missionary there with the Bible. So you hold that Bible where they can see it and I will talk to you in English. You will tell, I'll tell you what to answer. You answer that back to me in English. They have no idea what you're saying or what I'm saying. Then I'll speak in their tongue. Whatever you say, Paul. So we get there. And, Can I have your attention? They all turned around and saw me. They went, ooh. And uh, Paul said, tell them that you're not to hang the couple. And they had the mom and dad a noose around their neck about from here to the end of the church out there about a thousand people between me and them, watching those two people, they're getting ready to string him up. The boy with the, with the, laying on the ground, sick and foaming out of the mouth, his eyes rolled back up and his head's laying off to the right, okay? So I'm standing there, they never taught me how to do this in Bible college, okay? I want you to catch that. And we don't do this every day in the States. And Paul said, Brother Dan, tell, Pastor, tell them they cannot do this if they want to be wise. And so I told him, he said, stopping one time, you me boom one time, I mean, Papa God man, you savvy I'll get that. They knew I was the, that they thought I was a priest. Some thought I was a preacher. But they saw that Bible, they saw that skin, and it stopped. Here's what I said to the leader. If you'll be a wise man, you'll let me take that young man down to the hospital, give me two hours, we will do a test. If he is full of malaria and worms, you do not hang the people. But if he doesn't have any sickness and he's in this state, you have full permission to hang those people. Wow. Now he translated that. I never prayed so hard after that statement for somebody to have worms or malaria in my life. And uh, we picked that boy up. The leader agreed to it. He put chairs down. The people sat in chairs, nooses around their neck. Everybody's sitting on the ground waiting for me. We drive off. I get to the hospital, not that far away. One of our Sunday school teachers is a nurse. She's on that afternoon. She moves us to the front of the line. 
and uh, uh, Paula told them I would pay for his test. It was only 50 bucks. It's not America. You don't get ripped off over there. And so they did a blood test, moved into the front of the line, and he was full of bugs and malaria. He had no demon in him. Amen? Now, you may not understand that, but it's a real deal over there in that country. So I paid for the medicine to give him a shot. He's calming down. We drove back to the village. We pulled inside there. I've gotten good news. Me hamamas. Picking any belong you. Emmy not. No devil in him. Emmy sick more yet. Me kiss some medicine. Belong me. Him, him better yet already. Amen. Now that's the little language we speak. Man, the crowd began to buzz. And I said, you are a wise leader not to hang that couple. He unnoosed them and they crawled underneath the bushes back to their house. I went home the next Saturday. My wife and I showed up at the gate before I knocked on it. They had chocolate chip cookies. In those days, I drank Diet Coke. Two of them sitting on a plate. <laughs> oh, God. Amen. Little as much if God is in it. And I went in there and we invited people to come to church that first Sunday. We, uh, uh, the, the old lady did not come that was going to get hung. Neither did the husband. But five or six kids come. The second week she came. And she came the third week and she got saved. And she started coming to church. She died, buried her five years ago over there. But she came to that church about, uh, I think, 14 years. And she was the big lady in that village bringing people out for our church. Little as much of God is in it. Now where did that journey start? Me showing up there when they left the gate open because of a hanging? Did it start with me jogging up and down, praying for those kids with suckers in one side of my uh, pocket and uh, gum in the other? Or did it start four years before that in northwest Indiana, God getting all of my heart, touching my heart to go into missions after 20 successful years in a huge church ministry where I had it made in the shade with all the lemonade, but I had to do that little thing that God put in my heart to do. Now that's one story. You have stories like that too. I want to encourage you tonight. Heritage Baptist Church is right at the doorstep. You've done a lot of things for God. Coming out of this pandemic, there's so much more you can do. Amen? So listen to the little things that the Holy Spirit tells you. Stay involved. Don't gerbil around. Don't live in fear. Trust God with this. Because watch me, there's red seas to go across. There's giants to slay. And there's over 5,000 men to feed. And that last one is the most important one because that's John chapter 6. When you go home, we are introduced in that chapter to the bread of life, life everlasting. Isn't that great? Amen. So I just want to encourage you as a church, and I wanted to preach this tonight to let you know that God wants to use you, but don't miss the little things. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. I ask Brother Barney to come forward as he does. You know, the, our text was very clear tonight. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where it says, For you see your calling, brethren. You have to understand God has a call for you. And God don't use the wise men or the mighty men, but he uses the base things, base people, normal people, ordinary people that's been redeemed, sanctified, taught righteousness. And then when the Holy Spirit said, Hey, I have something for you to do, you have the wisdom to listen to a burning bush. You have a wisdom to pick up those five stones. You have the wisdom to offer that snack lunch and watch what God can do through you. Who can say, Brother DeLong, God spoke to my heart about the ministries coming up in 2022 at Heritage Baptist Church. And I would just want to be, I'm part of the ministry now, but I realize I can do so much more. And maybe you're not in the ministry here yet, but you want to get in. Don't let the devil defeat you. Don't let him talk to you that you can't do it because it's the base things of the world that God uses to, to, to turn the world around.